You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. And with that, let's just pray this morning. God, my heart is heavy this week, a lot of losses, um, and then just, just see this, this tragedy. Um, it's, it's almost too much. Um, if it were not for the fact, um, I was thinking of the psalm this morning, um, I would have despaired had I not believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, to take heart and let your heart take courage. We need those promises in weeks like this, and uh, we cling to them at the same time as grieving. And this morning, God, I don't know how this church body, as individuals and homes, want to try to participate. We just want to try to help point them in a direction that we feel very good about, trying to give as much international and unified church around the globe help on the ground in this tragedy so that you can do something redemptive in darkness. Um, Thank you for the people of this church and the ways that they give and the ways that you're forming Jesus in them as they give. And we give you the rest of this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, A couple other things. Well, actually, a lot of other things going on um, in our church. One of them is we have a new app and we are kind of encouraging you to try it out um, in the next couple of weeks. We have a brand new church app. Um, it's in your program. There's a QR code if you have a program. We encourage you to get it, try it. It's hopefully, it's like a hub of information that makes it easier for you to kind of know what's going on in this church. And I tend to kind of fall asleep when Andy gets up at 9, 10 a.m. on Sunday and does announcements. So what did he say? And you have an app now to be able to tell you what's what was going on and stuff like that. It's linked to our YouTube page for sermons, and it has so much more that it can do, but right now this is just the first version of it. Check it out. See what you think. We'd love for you to, to, to give it a try. Another thing coming up, and this is the last time to be able to sign up for any parents with toddlers and preschoolers. We're having a play night for the kids, but also that means it's a date night for mom and dad. So if you want, yeah, Dave, Kevin's going. Um, that's next Saturday from 4 to 7, and you can sign up at santacruzfaith.org play night and uh, we'd love to just be able to take care of your beautiful little kids and you can go out and have a, a date night it's at its perfect time it's only a couple days after um, valentine's and so for any fathers going uh i haven't done anything on that sign up and do something that's you brian sign up <laughs> no just kidding um also coming up, and I really, again, continue, there's a lot of people who signed up for this. We're going to do a one day, just get a chance to retreat in your life for just a few hours. It's only like seven hours to retreat with Jesus so that you can advance in your life with Christ. And I'm going to be very happy to facilitate this time. Um, it's great time. You're going to be spoiled with great snacks and drink and lunch, as well as an opportunity to just take a deep breath and to walk with Jesus for a little bit. Jesus wants to reconnect with you, but sometimes we're the ones who are our own worst enemies and we can't enter into silence and solitude to save our lives and we desperately need it. So we're trying to give you an opportunity to enter into what you desperately need. So please sign up at santacruzfaith.org slash closer walk. It's going to be a great opportunity for everybody. In addition, I'm changing this up. I was going to do another retreat in the springtime. I've changed it. 
because we were looking at the calendar for everybody's lives and schools have shifted their schedules and stuff. Instead, what I'm going to do is this. We're going to create a retreat-like atmosphere after church all four Sundays in March. We're going to feed everybody, even if you don't sign up. And then if you do sign up, I'm going to do a class because I think coming out of the pandemic, we all got to get our heads straight again, again about what is the story of my life? What story am I living in? Am I living in the story that the enemies told me that I suck and I'm no good and what am I doing here? Or do I have a narrative that's gospel-based about what my life means? What's my place and my purpose in the world? So it's going to be four weeks of me helping you create a space in which you and the Holy Spirit can interact with being really clear about, why am I here? Why? Like, here's the big, the big question for us as Christians is, why is it that you give your life to Jesus and I say, I'm trusting you, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Why does he not in that moment say, okay, and now come home to heaven? Because if heaven is so much better, and it is, why does he, he's leaving us here for a reason. And some of us walk through life and we don't even know what it is. And so I want to encourage you to sign up for this class. SantaCruzFaith.org spring class, finding your place and purpose. And it's going to be a, a lot of fun. All right, I have one last one, and I, I want to be really careful with this because it's, it's gonna, it could sound like a guilt trip, and it's, and it's not intended as such. It's just reality. I'm going to pass around some clipboards because there are some needs. Um, since the beginning of December, uh, Michael Lewis, happens to be my son, has had to do pro presenter slides every single Sunday because we don't have enough people trained to help click slides, which doesn't take a lot. In addition, just this morning, Sarah told me that she had to make a quick change for the kids because we didn't have enough help to minister with kids. So I'm going to pass around some clipboards. I'm even going to read what's on the clipboard, what it says. It says, if you're interested in serving or finding out more, so there's no pressure if you sign it here, just finding out more of any of the ministries listed below, please provide your name and contact. Don't be afraid. Signing up doesn't commit you to anything. And the person who follows up with you will be very nice to you. So we need help with tech. We need help with the toddler class. And I love how Sarah wrote this. Once a month. They're all once a month, by the way. I think we can, you know, again, I'm not, I don't want to lay on guilt. I'm just telling you these are the realities right now. Once a month, spend your Sunday morning with the, in italics, adorable FCC toddlers. Combo class, which is uh, three years to second grade, once a month with some of the adorable kids at FCC. I'm going to pass this around. I don't know how the Holy Spirit may move in your lives and your hearts, but these are, these are the needs that we have, and you know, we'll just see where this goes. With that, we're going to get into um, the text, God's Word this morning, and I know I need to pray again, so let's pray again. Father, um, you know that I, I, I'm coming in definitely weak. Um, the loss of my dad in December, the loss of a dear friend's father in January, and then again last night, another dear friend's father has gone home to be with you. And uh, the mix of both relief and sadness and also deep gratitude for the hope of heaven are mine this morning, uh, which is what I'm going to be talking about. But I... I come in weakness, and dang it, if it's not how you work, it's like when I come in weakness, that's when the weakness is like, you were just speaking with so much more power. So I'm banking on that 
that your power is stronger than my weakness, God. So please uh, speak. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I guess I should say, please don't judge me for what I'm about to admit. Um, well, let me start with something you probably won't judge me for, and that is I, and even more so after what I've dealt with in the last 24 hours, I love the promise of heaven. I love the promise. I, I really like the fact that Jesus has promised to me and to everyone who believes he's promised us a better life, like a, a beautiful life, far more beautiful than this life after this life. I love that. And I take comfort in his promise that he's building a place for me. Um, in my mind, I'm envisioning Jesus, you know, he's like using hand tools, woodcrafting my special place in heaven um, forever. And I get to enjoy him forever. I love that. Now, if you think the idea of heaven is a preposterous idea that only weak-minded people believe in, you might judge me just for talking about I believe in heaven. That, and that's fine. You can, you can do that. If you believe in the hope of heaven, you, you won't judge me for that. But what I will for saying, I believe in heaven. But where everybody will, might be a, a bit tempted to kind of look at me funny is when I'm going to admit this, is that is as much as I love the promise of heaven and take comfort in the promises Jesus gives, me in heaven, I have misgivings about heaven. I personally have them. I have misgivings about all the newness I'm going to have to face in heaven. I'm going to have to adjust to a new resurrection body. And even though this one gets more achy and wakes up with sleeping injuries in the morning, like I'm used to this one. And so I'm going to have to get used to this new resurrection body. What's that like? And resettle in this new place to live and have to meet new friends. And so I'm just admitting I have this sort of like low-grade newness anxiety that I've probably had my whole life. Uh, of new places and new friends and, and, and new anything. I also have misgivings uh, about the party atmosphere that's going to be there in heaven because in the New Testament it describes the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I, I'm an introvert. And parties, you know, my soul's recharged in solitude. And that leaves me wondering if all of that partying with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and with all those saints, is that going to drain my emotional battery forever? Will will there be a place for me in heaven for that? I don't even know. Like, sometimes I kind of wonder about that. And I've even got misgivings about the possibility of being bored in heaven. Like, I mean, you know, the common classic ideas like floating on a cloud and plucking harps, bringing strings. And I don't play harps. I play guitar. It sounds like mind-numbingly dull to do that. And so what I'm admitting is I have misgivings about heaven. Now, in saying that, I, I hope, did I free any of you to admit some of your questions and concerns about heaven? Um, because I got to believe that when it comes to heaven, we all have a mix of two things going on most of the time. One, we are misinformed. We're misinformed. And I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, I think over the last generation, at least from my generation, I'm, I am, it's funny, I'm kind of in that middle place. I'm kind of like between baby boom and baby bus. So I call myself a bummer. (laughs) I'm a bummer right in the middle there. But in my generation, at least, and going forward, and we'll put it up on the slide, Michael, where it says we're misinformed. Um, we have, in this generation, preaching and teaching on heaven, it's been minimal. 
um, in the Western church. We're misinformed. And I, and I confess I have a part in that, um, leaving us with less than accurate ideas and images. We are misinformed with vague ideas like, you know, the common idea of, you can click the next one, but yeah, we are misinformed, is we have ideas like we're floating around, heaven is up, hell is down, I don't know where we got that, we've become like some kind of like ghost-like being forever, or like heaven is like Disneyland times a hundred, and more vague ideas like that. We also have vague images of heaven, like... You know, the country songs about crossing a river over to another shore, um, wearing a toga, floating on a cloud, playing harp, eating grapes, even if you don't like grapes, things like that. We have all these like vague, vague things. We also have some misgivings like the one that I just mentioned, and maybe you have some of your own, or like our family life pastor, Tara Brown, who's going to be preaching, by the way, next week. Thank God they get to have a little bit of a break this week up in the snow. But Tara has admitted to me she's had these misgivings. I said, can you write them out so I can say it in your own voice? And she did. She says, here's what hers were. She says, as a kid, I was afraid to go to heaven. I thought it must be so boring that I didn't want to go, but I also didn't like the other option. I remember how boring church was sitting with my parents in a pew. Willie and Debbie right there. I'm sitting with my parents in a pew and just thinking, this is so boring. While adults around me talked about how they were looking forward to heaven because they thought heaven was going to be like the experience of what church was like. But for eternity. And so she says, sadly, I sat there thinking, oh no, is this what heaven's going to be like? We all have our thoughts about this, don't we? So today we're continuing this series called uh, Deathbed Request because we're seeing in this wonderful prayer that Jesus prayed that when somebody's at the, towards the end of their life or even before the end of their life, if they've made arrangements, they let us know what really, really matters to them. And Jesus in John chapter 17 prayed this prayer that really lets us know the things that deeply mattered to him before he took the cross. And just as quick review up to this point, here's what Jesus has told us through the passes. Jesus has told us that he wants us to be able to be people who can experience the extreme delight within God, within the Trinity, this infinite happiness that is within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he wants it so that we can partake and be a part of that that glory that's happening within them. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. We've learned that Jesus wants us to be his physical healing presence in the world. He prays in it. He says, I'm going to be going back to you, seated at the right hand of the Father. My people, my disciples are going to be my physical healing presence in the world. How many of Jesus's people are his physical healing presence in an earthquake zone right now in Turkey and in Syria? Jesus also wants us to be protected from the twisted schemes of the enemy, Satan, who wants nothing more to put a rake handle between our knees and trip. And then he wants us to tell the world that God sent us to, that's not us, he sent Jesus to rescue the world. He wants us to do that. And then last week we talked about how Jesus wants to us to build a union with other believers that builds out our credibility with the rest of the world. And today, we're going to read just in this one verse, Jesus revealing his deep longings for our eternal destiny. And I think for you, as it was for me this week, when you hear his longings, I think it helps with the misinformation and the misgivings that sometimes we end up with about heaven. So let's read it in the passage. You've been holding on for long enough. Let's read it. 
In John chapter 17, verse 24, we read Jesus prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is God's holy and precious word. See, Jesus is praying, right? He's in the upper room and he's praying. That's the whole context of this. And he tells God the Father what he wants. It's, I mean, like, it, it, it peels back the emotional layer of, like, he, he wants something for us. And here's what he prays. We'll put it up on the screen just so you can kind of highlight it in your mind. He prays, Father, I want those you've given me, dot, dot, dot. But just focus on the word want. The word want in the Greek is the word that literally could be translated in English more closely to determined resolution. So Jesus shows us that he has this eager, determined resolution, probably he feels it in his gut, about something that he as the son really wants God the Father in all of his omnipotent power and authority to make a reality. Jesus really wants God the Father to give him two things that radically impact us. And here's the first thing that he wants. I'll, again, put it up so you can see it highlighted. He says, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am. To be with me where I am. Now, I want to ask you something about that, that statement. Just think about this with me for a second. How many people in your life would you want to have around any longer than a holiday vacation, let alone an eternity, where you'd go, I want them around me. I'm going to guess, and I'm an introvert, so I'm going to fully admit this is true for me, the, the, your list is really short, if not almost empty, of names that you would be passionate to have around you forever. Now, why is that? It's because real people are a mixed bag, right? I'm a mixed bag. You're a mixed bag. We are a mixed bag of irritating, frustrating, disappointing, and hurtful on one hand, as much as we are kind and generous and loyal and loving. We're a mixed bag. And Jesus prays as he's staring at a mixed bag, a bunch of mixed bags in front of him. Staring at the mixed bag of the remaining 11 disciples, because remember we read in early, or we kind of highlighted this at the beginning of the passage, disciple number 12 skipped out to go to his betrayal of Jesus thing. So there's 11 mixed bags sitting there in front of him. And these are mixed bags who are about ready to fall asleep on him when he says, please stay awake with me, be present with me, who are going to deny him and going to run as he gets arrested and run in fear. And those are true as much as they also deeply love Jesus. Mixed bag. And Jesus is also staring at the mixed bag through the ages, right up to us now, <laughs> who disappear on him, go silent on him, and even turn our backs on him, as much as we also truly, truly love him. And so Jesus, he's staring at the mixed bag in all of his disciples, and he still longingly is asking God the Father, Father, 
I want you to use all of your power and all of your authority to make it possible for me to dwell with these people. These are my people. It's as if Jesus was saying, and this gets me, I don't want a heaven without them. I mean, Jesus knows me. I'm a mixed fruit, you know, mixed bag of nuts. And Jesus is saying, I don't want heaven without him. I don't want heaven without you. I don't want heaven without them. And then Jesus also asks this. He says, I want those that you have given me, and I just flash forward ahead to the phrase, to see my glory. To be with me to see my glory. The word to see in the language that John records it, it's the word that means to observe attentively and then discern. So it's the idea of not just like seeing an image like I see an image, but it's the idea of being able to see and understand meaning, to grasp and enjoy the full meaning of what it is you're seeing, what it means. And so the disciples in the upper room, and you and me who are reading the Gospels, we, we get to see one part of an amazing part of the glory of Jesus, his visible humility. And it's glorious that this God is so humble. They got to see, we get to read about washing their feet, serving them, laying down his life as a substitute for them and for us. And so all, all of us disciples throughout all of history, we can clearly see the glorious willingness of God's son to do very, from our definition, ungodlike things in his humility, frankly, humiliation on a cross and service for our benefit. That's, that's one part. We get to see that part of his glory. It's right out there for us to see. But the disciples in the upper room, except for three of them, Peter, James, and John, and only for a few split moments up on a Mount of Transfiguration, the vast majority of those disciples and all of us who read the Gospels, we couldn't see, can't see, the other part of Jesus' glory, which is the part where he radiates such perfect beauty, it would hurt us to look at it. It would hurt. And Jesus is passionately asking the Father to make it so that all of his disciples could constantly gaze at the category-shattering perfection and forever enjoy Jesus in all of the fullness of all of his glory, both his humility as well as his perfect beauty, and to be able to do it forever. See, Jesus, I think, as I'm reading this right in this one verse in this prayer, he wants us to be forever included and immersed in his achingly beautiful presence. And that's the whole point. I think I need to hear this as much as anybody today. And that is this, is that Jesus wants us around forever. He really does want us. He wants me around forever. And I don't, I, I'm a mixed bag. He wants you around forever. Believe, I, believe me, I'm pastoring this church. I know you're a mixed bag. I love you all. We're all mixed bags. And he wants you around forever. He wants all of us around forever. Now, of course, you know, you, you have your doubts and you have your concerns and you have your misgivings about the promise of heaven. If you spend any moments just even thinking about it all at all, the life to come, yeah, there's hope. But you, if you think about it long enough, you're a human being, you're going to have some misgivings. But can you find some shalom, peace, in the fact that the indestructible one, Jesus, 
He wants you, wants you with him forever. If the Trinity can defeat death, then the Trinity can do anything they want to do. So even if you and I have our misgivings, and I've admitted mine to you, to you, I think we can be filled with hope in the simple fact that the Trinity wants us to be with God forever. And God can achieve what he wants. He can do it. Jesus wants us with him so badly that he asked the Father to apply all of his omnipotent, redeeming power. And why, does, why is it needed? Because we need to be transformed and translated into resurrection beings who can handle being in the ecstatic, aching beauty of his presence in heaven forever. If we entered it now, it would fry our neural circuits. We couldn't handle it. So it needs God's power to transform and translate us. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. In the original Testament and in the New Testament, the descriptions of Jesus' radiant, aching beauty, they're stunning. Let me just show you some of them. This one comes from the original Testament prophet Ezekiel. He's literally in Ezekiel chapter 1. I encourage you to go read it. A part of it, I love it because my buddy Nick Hart, and he, he loves his cars and stuff. And I always joke with him. We're like literally reading Jesus flying on his flying motorcycle in the air. There's all these flying wheels and cherubim and seraphim. It's, it's a trip of a vision. But in the middle of it, here's what Ezekiel says he saw. The guy riding the motorcycle. He says, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. Now hold on to that prophetic image, and then let's go over to the original Testament prophet Daniel. And here's what he saw in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. He says, the ancient of days, he's talking about Jesus, took his seat. And his clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. And then Matthew in the New Testament, he describes Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Just this one few, these few moments where three disciples saw it. And here's what he writes about him. Matthew 17, 2, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And then John, John's the writer of John chapter 17 that we're, we're talking about. He was blessed to give us the final revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. And here's what he describes in Revelation chapter 1. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. You see out throughout even the books of the Bible, there's this common thread of these descriptors of Jesus. And they're all painting a picture of Jesus barely describable. They're struggling for the right words. Barely describable, radiant glory that at the very least, it would leave us cowering in the dust before him all the time, if not kill us in that presence of that. 
And yet, Jesus doesn't want us cowering or killed in his presence. He wants us with him and transformed into such a state that we can enjoy him and he enjoy us forever. So cool. Now you might say, Andy, that is so great, so cool, but so in the future and not so helpful right now today. Fair enough. Got it. And, I, and, and you know what? There's a lot of it I would agree with. I agree with you. This is a hope which is going to be experienced fully in all of its fullness in the future. But a hope that is fully in the future doesn't mean it is a hope that is only in the future. Only. This enjoyment of the glory of Jesus is something that we can now actually start to acclimate to now. Uh, And I'm going to guess, this is just purely a guess. I I can't cite any scripture. And if you want to send me emails and say, boo on your guess, that's fair because it's a guess. I have to guess that the more we acclimate to his glory now will probably increase our fluency of enjoying the beauty and overflowing delight of him forever. That there might be some connectivity. Guess. But in one of his last sermons that he ever preached, the great 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said something pretty amazing about this very reality I'm talking about. And it might stun some of you because you're like, I've walked with Jesus for many years. I've never had this. Here's what he says. Some of us know at times what it is to be almost too happy to live. The love of God has been so overpoweringly experienced by us on some occasions that we've almost had to ask for a stay of the delight because we couldn't endure anymore. If the glory had not been veiled a little, we should have died of excess of rapture or happiness. Beloved, God has wondrous ways of opening his people's hearts to the manifestations of his grace. He can pour in, not now and then a drop of his love, but great and mighty streams. This is supposed to be available to all of us in our lives now. See, the great old preacher is telling us that we can experience more of these slice of heaven experiences than most of us realize. And through these experiences, be that much more acclimated for the expansive fullness that is to come. And so here's the point again. Remember what Jesus just prayed? The point being that Jesus wants us around forever. Here's where this gets real for us. So draw near and acclimate to Jesus' glory now. There's so, I I don't know what it is about how we've thought this through in the Western church. I don't know what it is. And I grew up with this too, where it's like, heaven is then, Jesus is now, and now means I just kind of do the best I can, and I'll call out to him when I sort of need him, but meanwhile, I've got my laminate. Heaven pass when I die, and there's no connectivity. Where did we get that? There's not in scripture. It is connected. Draw near now to the joy and the beauty and the gladness and the delight and the infinite happiness and the glory of Jesus now in our lives. And I will say, the apostles John, who we're reading in John chapter 17, and the apostle Paul, they spoke about this reality. John, 
It's amazing to me actually studying this, how John remembered and recorded this long prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. But later on, he was writing after Jesus had died and been buried and rose again and had ascended back to the Father. John was writing to the early churches in 1 John. And here's what he wrote. He says, now we are children of God. That's what we are now. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Paul, the apostle, he put it this way in one of his letters to the early church in First Second Corinthians, and he says this, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed in real time right now into his image with ever-increasing glory. What they're telling us is that starting now, in part, and then fully in heaven, when we gaze upon the full beauty and the glory of Jesus, whatever fragments of it are available to us, mostly through Scripture, but also the illumination of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit hunting us and chasing us and preaching within us about who God is, when we do that, we find ourselves more perfectly and completely, we're drawn to Him, in love of Him, and then we find that when that happens, that everything wrong or missing in us starts to disappear. And it's those kinds of experiences in parts and in pieces in this life, what they do is they, they deepen our shalom, our peace. And they wash away our misgivings of what awaits us in the fullness of eternity in Jesus' stunning glory. So let me try to make this sort of practical. Like, okay, um, Charles Spurgeon is talking about something I have not had happen in my Christian life. I just know a lot of data about God, and I'm hopeful that my laminated past gets me into heaven. So, okay, so Spurgeon's describing this. John the Apostle's describing this. Paul's describing this. Where where do I go? What I would suggest is this, is ask God to give you the experiences they're describing. Have you ever in your life just said, God, I want that? God not only hears that prayer, his spirit starts to move. So ask God if you've never in your lifetime had one of those slice of heaven moments where the the love of God was so thick it almost made you fall down in the sentimental pile of oozy love. Ask God. Ask him. And then when you ask, it's not just that. It's as you ask, enter into the rhythms or practices that the Holy Spirit has been using as the central meeting place between Jesus and his people since the church began. You ask, and you enter into the central meeting place of the word and the worship and the prayer. Ask and enter those practices. And then as you do those things, respond when God's Spirit inevitably is going to invite you into solitude and silence to hear a little more clearly. And will inevitably meet you, not cause, but meet you in the sufferings and the losses of life that help you to hear and see more clearly.
And when you get there, know that the Father, Son, and the Spirit will acclimate you, want to acclimate you, to enjoy this God who wants you to enjoy him forever and wash away any of the misgivings and the misinformation that you have about heaven. That's what he wants. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And we're going to do some singing and remembering Jesus through communion. But I want to, let me leave you with this picture of glory that is to come for us if we've placed our faith in Jesus. And if you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, I hope that you will. I hope that you can hear this message and go, Jesus wants me to be with him forever. And wow, to be able to just say, I, I, my life is broken. And I admit that. And I believe that Jesus has come to give me life of these things that you're teaching. And I want to be a part of that and to commit your yes to his yes. He's already said yes to you. He's just waiting for you to say yes to follow him. But for all of us who do believe, in the book of Revelation, John describes the final state of God's people. As the new city of Jerusalem descends to earth and heaven is earth. Heaven isn't, it's not up, down, it's heaven becomes earth. It's this place. Only with everything made new. And here's what he writes in Revelation 21, verses 23 and 24. He says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Can you picture that? Jesus wants us with him, and God will do what it takes to transform and translate us into beings who can be with him and enjoy him forever, but not just hang out. We also will get to bring our splendor. We will become the kings and the queens of the earth. We will bring our splendor into his presence. Imagine bringing the works of your hand and the desires of your heart free of the curse of sin. Your brain will be at high capacity, indestructible brain and mind and body, and you're bringing into heaven all of your splendor. You're not just hanging around plucking harps and, and, and plucking grapes and eating drag grapes and plucking harp strings. And I, I, dear God, I hope we don't have harps in heaven. Maybe we will. But we're together with him, enjoying together what we have made for his hands and for his enjoyment. And we're going, look what we were able to make because you're our God. It's going to be a blast. And so we can gaze now at the Jesus who wants us with him forever. And we can gaze now at this picture of our heavenly future. And by gazing now at that, we can become what the Apostle Paul says. He says, we can be transformed now into his image with ever-increasing glory. Jesus wants us with him forever. And we get to be a people now who draw near and can increasingly acclimate to his glory. Because that's what we're going to get to enjoy forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for this hope. Thank you that, you know, as old as I am now, there's still that little kid in me who's just like, heaven sounds better than the alternative, but, I, but uh, there's some misgivings that I have. And yet when I gaze at Jesus, he's like, who, who he is and how good he is, <clears throat> how kind he is. And what he tells me about who you as God the Father are. Okay. You want me? You want us? 
we take shalom and comfort from that. God, meet us this morning as we worship and we remember you in communion. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.